Hello and welcome to Free Course Politics Podcast. I'm Josh. And I'm Hills. And this is episode 17, and we have a loaded episode for you guys. It is a like a loaded pepper, if you will. But the or pepper a loaded, is really good. Or a loaded baked, baked potato. Oh, yeah, that could be good too. Uh, so your appetizer today is going to be all about the Democratic primary forecast. I'm going to put on my uh, weatherman's cap. And I'm going to give you the forecast for the uh, primary season that's coming up. Uh, here's a little preview. It's going to be dark and stormy. So <laughs> grab those umbrellas. Is it going to be cloudy with a chance of candidates? <laughs> it's going to be cloudy with a chance of Tom Steyer. Oh, boy. That's a, that's a storm. <laughs> uh, the entree is all about Trump impeachment and what's happened the past week. Uh, the side dish is going to be a little throwback. 2016, we're going to go Bernie and Hillary. And then we have a three-part dessert for you t- today because you've been so good. You get three parts to it. We're going to talk Mr. Peanut. We're going to talk Super Bowl ads. And we're going to talk a little gritty. If you don't know who uh, gritty is, you will by the end of this podcast. Uh, if you don't know who Gritty is, where have you been? <laughs> You've been under a rock. You've been under a rock. Uh, before we get started, are you right registered to vote? If you aren't sure, go to vote.org right now. We'll wait. You can register and then come back and finish this podcast. As we've been saying, every time we do a podcast, you got to be right registered to vote. 2020 is actually here. We are here. It's the belly of the beast. Time to get uh, yourself registered right now so vote.org and get yourself registered today just do it already please 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 do it um all right well that's the intro and uh your pre-dinner shot questions coming up next hello everybody we have a really good two-part quiz for you today pre-dinner shot quiz question so the first part of this question is How many House managers were there for the Clinton impeachment hearings? Again, the House sends up managers, you know, the representatives from the House, to manage their part of the impeachment process. How many House managers were there for the Clinton impeachment hearings? The bonus, the second part, is who were these House managers for the Clinton impeachment hearings? So first part is how many of them were there? Second part is... Who were all of them? So those are your questions, and we will give them to you after the Perfect. at the end of the show. I think it's safe to say there are more than one house manager, but less than two hundred. So there's your answer somewhere between one and two hundred. You <laughs> you'd be surprised. It could be half the house. Could be half. Yeah. So it's more than one. I we will give you that much. Yeah. All right, and uh, here comes your forecast coming up. your appetizer talking a little dem primary forecasting so here we go 2020 is here in case you didn't know and that means it is primary and caucus season so we're going to go into uh the primaries the caucuses but we're going to give you a little bit of background for uh to uh, make sure you know what's, what we're talking about so the democratic candidate uh they need delegates to get the nomination okay in 2020, Democrats need 1,990 delegates in order to get the nomination. There are two t- two types of delegates. You've got super delegates and then just regular delegates. Uh, the delegates are people who are assigned to each state. So, for example, Iowa has 41 delegates. If you win Iowa then you would get some of those delegates based on how much you, like what percent of Iowa you want. In Iowa, you have to have 15% to even be viable to get delegates. And then you have those delegates, you carry them with you all the way to the uh, convention. And those are just regular delegates. Then because we're Democrats and we're uh, difficult, we have have super delegates. So super delegates are important members of the party. You've got presidents, senators, all those people, and they can support whoever they want. So those are the delegates, and that's what these candidates, these nominees, 
That's what they are vying for in each state is delegates because they have to hit that 1,990 delegate threshold. Bill, do you want to add anything? The super delegates can shoot lasers from their eyes too. <laughs> That's yes. So the super delegates, the big thing in 2016 was that there were so many super delegates, and they all pledged for Hillary early on, and that's what people were like, this is unfair. They already pledged their support early on. And uh, this time there's many, there's a lot less superdelegates to go around. Right. So the idea is trying to make it fair for everyone <clears throat> because there are fewer delegates, fewer superdelegates to go around. So those are delegates, and now the first four states. So there are four states that have their uh, primary or caucus uh, in the month of February, and they are as follows. In Iowa, there's a caucus on February 3rd. So gosh, we are like a week out maybe. Uh, and Iowa has 41 delegates. In New Hampshire, the primary is February 11th, and there are 24 delegates. In Nevada, there's a caucus February 22nd, and there are 36 delegates. And in South Carolina, there's a primary February 29th with 54 delegates. So South Carolina is the big one there, followed by um, Iowa, and then Nevada, and then New Hampshire. So um, those are the first four states with the idea that Super Tuesday, which, fall, which is the following Tuesday, where you have a bunch of different states uh, that are that are all going to vote on that that Tuesday. So those wow. are I think there are like fifteen. I think there are fifteen states, um, including the American Samoas, that uh, that uh, cast their ballots the following uh, Tuesday. So it's coming up, Hills, and it's going to come rapid fire. Wow, I didn't realize South Carolina had so many delegates. 54 delegates, yeah. I feel like it's not uh, talked about more often. I mean, I know Iowa and New Hampshire are like the first ones, quote-unquote, but like right. South Carolina's got much more. Yeah, bond delegates. And people always forget about uh, Nevada as well, which is strange because Nevada is uh, usually a swing state, but it's, def it's definitely uh, changed a little more blue uh, these past uh, couple elections, so we'll see. So go drive up uh, polling uh, there for downs. So, who is supposed to win? Uh, in general, Hills and I have crunched the numbers, and there are four frontrunners. It's uh, Biden, Pete, Warren, and Sanders. Right, Hills? Yeah, I think that's, I think that's fair. Uh, I mean, Klobuchar is still hang, is hanging around and hoping that she can make a late push. Uh, Bloomberg is not eligible in any four of these states because he missed the filing deadline. So he is making a pull for a push for Super Tuesday. So if you don't see Bloomberg being talked about here, and we're going to get into that in a second, uh, but that's because he's not eligible for any of those states, which no president has ever won not being on the ballot for any four of those states. He's hoping to be the first one. Yeah, I think, and, and that's also, I think, because no president has ever tried, right? True. Yeah. Yeah, very true. A little bit of both. Yeah. So in Iowa, uh, you've got so many different polls. They're all saying different things. So no one really knows. The consensus is that you've got a Sanders-Biden-Pete play for first place. Pete was in first, and he's fallen off a little bit. There were uh, some polls that had Sanders in front. And there were polls that had Biden in front. So no one really, really knows what's happening. The key thing is that next Saturday, there is a new Des Moines Register poll. And the uh, Des Moines Register poll is usually a great indicator for how the state is going to go. The Des Moines Register, uh, just the editorial board just endorsed Warren, which is kind of a surprise. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see how that uh, plays out next Saturday. And actually, CNN is actually doing, I don't know how they're going to do it, they're doing like an hour-long uh, special on CNN about the Des Moines Register poll. So that should be, you know. It's just, about the poll, really? Yeah, it's about the poll coming out, and then they're going to release the poll and do analysis of it. It's a whole thing, and it just sounds like riveting TV. Wow, I mean, I'm going to watch it, but I don't expect many other people to. So after Iowa, literally uh, eight days later, 
you have the New Hampshire primary. And there's also a, a debate happening in there before the New Hampshire primary. Uh, so in New Hampshire, again, uh, you're looking at probably Sanders is the head of New Hampshire, which makes sense, you know, being the senator from Vermont. You've got Biden in second, Pete in third, and Warren, who has fallen off in New Hampshire, in fourth. So, you know, that's not great for her because New Hampshire is pretty close to Massachusetts. Yeah, I mean, it's I, it isn't it just as close to Massachusetts as Vermont is it almost. Sure is. Yeah, yeah. So that's very worrying for the uh, the Warren campaign. Perhaps even more worrying for her is Nevada. Uh, so Nevada has Biden ahead by a good amount, uh, followed by Sanders, and then Warren and Tom Steyer were vying for that third place spot in Nevada. So Tom Steyer, there there he is. He he came in. It was cloudy with a chance of Steyer, and now he's raining down on Warren's parade. <laughs> So I don't know how the hell he's in third place or almost in third place in Nevada. It makes no sense. Nevada but loves Steyer. Nevada loves Tom Steyer. Uh, and so that uh, caucus is on February 22nd. So that is 11 days later. And then just seven days after the Nevada caucus, there is a South Carolina primary. And Biden is up big there. It's not even close. Um, he has lots of African-American votes there. That's where his support is. Um, you know, so uh, that's the first four. And it could very well break down that Bernie wins Iowa and New Hampshire and Biden wins Nevada, South Carolina. So uh, we have four takeaways for you, four things that you should look for as we get into this month of primaries and caucuses. The first is that despite what I just said, it is very, very, very close. And um, you can't look too closely at all these polls because after Iowa, it's going to change everything. Right, else? Yeah, I mean, whoever whoever wins, and even if Biden and Sanders basically tie, like Pete, Pete and Warren can go way down because they're like, oh, they didn't win. They're done, right? So right. it can change. You're right. Yeah, so Iowa is huge. So you can't look too closely at all these other polls until Iowa happens. Uh, the second thing is that, well, I said in the beginning, it's a four-way tie for first. The polling shows that right now there's just two people. It's Sanders and Biden are the two old white guys who are gunning for the nomination. Uh, Pete and Warren are looking for a late surge in some of these states. I mean, Pete wasn't even top four in, in uh, Nevada. So, Yeah, I feel like he's kind of skipped over. I feel like I've never seen Pete in Nevada. I feel like he yeah. kind of wrote that off. Yeah, I think he was too focused on Iowa and New Hampshire. Um, the third thing is, with just over a week to go, how is the impeachment uh, going to affect polling? So the impeachment prevents Sanders and Warren and Klobuchar and Mike Bennett, because he's still in the race. Uh, it prevents any of them from actually going and spending time in Iowa. So Pete and Biden have, have Iowa all to themselves and Yang. So uh, how is that going to affect the impeachment uh, trial? How is it going to affect what these candidates do over the, la- over the, the next week? You can't, you can't forget about Yang. Never. No, <laughs> no it, you you're right. I mean, I forgot that Bennett is still in the race. I hope he drops out soon. But yeah, impeachment comes at a time that is probably the worst timing for the Senate candidates. But, you know, they, they signed up for this. They are a sitting senator. senator while they're running for president. This is stuff you have to think about and you have to do. So I don't feel sympathy for them, to be honest with you. Not at all. Uh, And the last part is to look out for endorsements. We don't know when they're going to start rolling out, but they could start after Iowa or definitely at some point uh, this upcoming month in February. So for endorsements, you have to look out because they can definitely help a candidate or hurt a candidate. I saw a story the other day that said Kamala was very close to endorsing Biden. Uh, Marianne Williamson is going to be campaigning with Andrew Yang. Oh boy, she has she has not yet uh, endorsed him, but she said that she feels she she feels in her spirit uh, his struggle as a candidate of color. The chakra. So it's the chakra. So Yang, the Yang gang is going to get all those sisters, um, or sorry, all those girlfriends. That all the so girlfriends. <laughs> girlfriend you are so wrong <laughs> um 
<laughs> a bonus thing is to watch out for Bloomberg and the Super Tuesday push. What Mike Bloomberg is hoping is that we split up all these candidates. So Bloomberg is hoping that maybe Pete takes Iowa, Sanders takes uh, New Hampshire, and then Biden takes uh, Nevada and South Carolina, for example. Right? There's been a split among different people, and so no one has a commanding lead on delegates. And Bloomberg's hoping, hey, on Super Tuesday, I can just you know get in there and just take all the candidates, all you know, take all those Super Tuesday states, and then I have the the lead without being in any of the first four states. I think it's entirely possible. Honestly, do not take a nap, do not sleep, do not close your eyes on Bloomberg. I I don't know. Well, I mean, Instagram videos can be deceiving, but I think he's getting more support than maybe what's out there. So we have to look out for that. Yeah, I think that's a great call, Hills. I, you know, I'm not a huge Bloomberg fan, but it does seem like in the, in all these in all the latest polls that that show up, it seems like Bloomberg has made a significant jump um, from where he was. So. We'll see. Well, when you, you when you, you never know them. when you have billions of dollars, literally to do whatever you want, uh, that's right. that's what happens. And can I can I just say you did a, you did a good job taking us through everything, but um, I called the Kamala Harris thing. I called it. Well, I think she's going to be VP, but I'm not going to be surprised if she endorses Biden. Yeah, no, I think she's definitely pushing for that uh, VP spot. So. I think it could be strong. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, Hills. Uh, is there anything else that we need to talk about? No, no. I think I think that's it. It's going to be a fun month ahead. Yeah, fun month. Make sure that w- whenever you get sleep, uh, you can because Lord knows we are going to be uh, busy, busy, busy when the time comes. <laughs> We're going to be busy, uh, busy with catching styres from the, from the the clouds. <laughs> uh it's gonna be raining tom star uh ties so <laughs> those 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 I, I don't know if i want one of those though kind of ugly you don't have a choice there's no choice you have they, it gives you a tie you must take it <laughs> all right uh i think your entree is coming up next Welcome, everybody, to Trumpeachment. We did it. We're here. So the Senate is now officially in its impeachment trial of Donald John Trump. So let's take you through what happened so far, and then we can go to uh, how optimistic or pessimistic we are about the future of this country. So what happened so far? Impeachment has begun. The GOP... Uh, voted uh, voted on the rules. They they set the rules for the trial, and the GOP voted down all the Democratic proposals and amendments and clauses that there are. So the rules are important because the rules are what governs the way things are done, the way evidence is held, the way people come to testify. So the rules were super super important. It's not just some like procedural hurdle that people talk about all the time. Like these are really important things. So the rules are that the House case managers will have 24 hours over three days to make their arguments uh, about removing the president from office on the the impeachment charges that they they passed. And the attorneys for the White House will have 24 hours over three days as well to state their introductory case. Senators will then have 16 hours to submit questions to both sides before they decide whether to call witnesses or subpoenas. So we just wrapped up the Democrats uh, from the House making their case. The Republicans from the White House have been doing it this weekend. And next week, we should be seeing the questions uh, that the senators have. McConnell changed two contested provisions at the last minute from pushback of the quote-unquote moderate senators, which happened to do nothing for us and the country. Um one which have required both sides to make their twenty uh, make their twenty four hours of arguments in two days, so that he extended it from two days to three because he's a very gracious person. Wow, how generous of him! And yeah, and the other was that uh, would have barred evidence gathered by the House. So 
he would have just not let the House submit any evidence if that's what people called for, uh, which is crazy. So which it's good that he let these these changes happen. But, you know, you see how bad it could have been. It could have been terrible. Um, the House Democratic manager, managers have made their case, and Adam Schiff has done an extraordinary job mm-hmm. um, managing this process. And he has an eight. There's an eight-minute closing speech that we're going to put in the info section of our podcast. And for those who don't know where the info section is, wherever you listen to your podcast, you usually just swipe right or left on the podcast app, um, and there are details about the show. And we're going to put the link to the video that you need to watch. You need to watch it. It is really extraordinary and he really just breaks down every argument from the GOP and I'm sure we're going to get there Hills but the GOP they don't have like at least from what we can gather they're not even trying to defend Trump's actions they're just saying you know that he like you know well this doesn't it shouldn't really be uh an impeachment going on because it's just you know this is all unfair blah blah and their whole argument is that, you know, sure, Trump didn't do a great thing, but he shouldn't be impeached over it. That's just crazy. And Schiff breaks down brilliantly why Trump is dangerous, why he has to be removed from office, et cetera, et cetera. And he breaks it down in a really, really nice way. So if you have eight minutes to spare, it's really worth watching. Even Lindsey Graham said to him that he did a great job. So... You impress Lindsey Graham, then you've uh, <laughs> you're doing something done something right. miraculous, you're doing right? Something, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. And and to give a summary, the Dems presented their introductory evidence of everything they've done in the House, taking them through all the testimony of the of the staff that came forward, taking them through why things were illegal. The Government Accountability Office, which is supposed is like an internal watchdog of government agencies even said that Trump broke the law by withholding the the aid to Ukraine. So it's like on record that he broke the law. And some people will be like, well, it's a minor law. It doesn't really matter. He still broke the law. I mean, like, seriously, if you break a law, just because it's not like you murder someone, but if you still break a law, you should face consequences. That's why we have laws. If there's no consequences to your actions, then we shouldn't even have a law to begin with. Right. Like, the law is there to provide consequences to actions. Exactly. And it just came out this weekend, I think, that Trump, there's audio of Trump uh, telling uh, Parnas or someone to take out Marie Yovanovitch, who was the ambassador to the uh, to the Ukraine. And, and there's video, there's audio of him saying, take her out. Like, that is abuse of power. Absolutely. It, I mean, you know, that that's the definition of it, you know. And I didn't get to watch it, but there's some leaked audio, leaked video from Lev Parnas where, like, Trump enters the room and everyone, like, stands up and is clapping. And, you know, I haven't watched the whole thing, but, you know, Trump said he didn't, he, he never met Lev Parnas. And then there's video of Lev Parnas right there with him. So <laughs> there's video and photos of everyone who said they never met Lev Parnas meeting Lev Parnas, <laughs> shaking his hand, talking with him. Uh, why, why even lie about it? There's literally vi- vid- videos and photos everywhere on the internet. Like, you can't lie about that. But it's, it's, not, it's not for the general public. It's for the base. Right, exactly. They're lying, and anything that contradicts them is wrong, which is, we have a segment of this country that should have, you know, they like dictatorships, but they don't even know it. But then they say they defend democracy. But anyway... We're gonna we're gonna move on, but uh, you should watch the shift video because he really just lays out like why Trump would do this and why it matters and what it means even if they don't really want to remove Trump. So you should watch it. Uh, next thing, why does it matter? So the formal trial has begun. Uh, senators should be taking notes, and some in the GOP are. Most of them are not adhering to the Senate rules, like not bringing devices in. Uh, and they literally just leave the room every two seconds to go get chocolate or <laughs> sweets or whatever snacks they have in their little cloak rooms. Yeah, which are the cloak the cloak rooms are like meeting rooms and and you know talking rooms basically. I think uh, there's uh, a video of someone on like a fidget spinner, like just clearly just not even paying any attention to what the uh, what Adam Schiff and the house managers are saying. Yeah, and, and they literally don't have... This is what, like, part of their job is to just sit there. And most some of them are taking notes and being good and 
but like there are some that just like are not even paying attention these are senators that are supposed to be impartial jurors about deciding whether the president's misconduct elevated him to remove him from office like and you're playing with a fidget spinner and can't sit still for two seconds like this these are the senators that the republicans have put up and have and and are consistently uh voting into power so i really i actually think these could be really good ads against these senators when they run for re-election i think they don't even realize it yet yeah and just imagine if you're at your job right and you know you sit down at your desk or you're at your job and every two seconds you're getting up to get a piece of candy or to use the bathroom or while you're sitting at your desk you're just playing with a fidget spinner you're on your phone i mean any other job and you would be fired. <laughs> you would be because you're not doing it, right? Like you, you have one job right now, which is to sit there, take notes, and listen to what the house managers are saying, both sides, be an impartial juror like you would on any jury duty. And majority of these GOP senators are just sitting there and on their phone, getting up, not saying anything. I think at one point, like there were 15 GOP senators that were just up there and just, and just like decided they were, they were going to leave. They're like petulant children. And it's, it's you know what? You don't even have to pay attention if you're writing something down. Write your next speech. Write what you'd like, like to do on vacation. I don't know. You can be, you can be uh, not actually writing down real notes, but you can still pretend to pay attention. Anyway, so it's, it's a really clear indication that most in the GOP have already made up their minds. So we have to focus on four senators. It's Mitt Romney, Lisa Murkowski, it is Susan Collins, and it's Cory Gardner. I think those are the four, the core four. There's one more. And the reason— A uh, potential ooh. one is Lamar Alexander, because I think he's retired. Oh, yes, yes, core five, core five. So uh, Lamar Alexander is retiring, so he doesn't care what he does. We have to remember that. Mitt Romney is Mitt Romney. He pretends to be moderate, and we can—well, moderate in some—he pretends to be a moderate leader. So we'll see if he actually stands up to that. Susan Collins is from Maine, and she's running for re-election. So there's a chance that she may flip her vote to win re-election. And uh, there's Lisa Murkowski. Lisa Murkowski is from Alaska. She's pretty moderate. She voted against Obamacare, if I remember correctly. And, and also in 2010, they put up another GOP candidate to run against her. And she lost the nomination but did a writing campaign, and she won the writing campaign. So she's very moderate and doesn't have to do anything for Mitch McConnell, basically, because she hates him. So there are the five GOP. Oh, and Cory Gardner, I missed him. He's also running for re-election. He's from Colorado. So you have these five senators who, if they all voted with the Democrats and their Democrats didn't lose anything, they can actually control the Senate. But that's a big, that's a big order for them to do that. So it's really about how Democrats talk to them. Uh, how they make their case to them, how they persuade them. And already some of them have expressed some outrage about some of the rhetoric used in the intro statements. And I'm not really sure whether they're, it's true outrage about how what the word choice they use or whether it's them feigning outrage so they can vote, they can have cover for voting for something later. Right there, it's fake outrage that they don't actually care but they have to make sh- they seem like they care to the Republican base. So when they vote on something later, they feel like, oh, yeah, I was pissed off about that. You know, so um, it's really about those five senators. And those five senators can can vote to have evidence come in, can vote to have witnesses come in. So it's all about those five senators. Isn't that great, Josh, about how this country comes down to five people? <laughs> it always seems to work out that way. But yes, it comes down to those five senators. And, you know, we need more than just those five senators to remove Trump from office. Uh, I think you need to have 66 senators. So we need a lot more than just those five. But those five we do need if you want to if you want to hear from witnesses. Yeah, which I think we we will get to just in 10 seconds. But I also just want to note um, I want to note that, as you mentioned, Josh, senators have to be in D.C., um, and the process that we are going through actually really does matter, as shown by how we have to rely on five senators to call witnesses in. So down to witnesses. Will the Senate vote to see witnesses? 
I personally say they will, but they're only going to do like one or two of them. What do you think, Josh? Yeah, so this is very, very challenging. And, um, you know, if you look at the timeline, Democrats want for Trump to still be under uh, investigation, under impeachment when he delivers the State of the Union on February 4th, which is in, you know, just over a week, right? So Trump's lawyers are talking on the 27th and the 28th. That leaves one, two, three, really about four days, four extra days uh, for them to uh, continue their in trial uh, before voting wraps up. And that, that way Trump has to, when he gives his State of the Union, he can't say he was acquitted. He can say, you know, he, he's still under uh, impeachment trial, even, even if it's not going to end in his r- removal. So I really hope they vote yes. Mitt Romney has already said that it is very likely that he votes yes. Uh, Susan Collins has said that she would most likely like to hear from some people. So hopefully we get, we do get to, to uh, hear fr- from some witnesses. I think we probably do hear from witnesses. Again, I'm thinking like maybe two, maybe three. But, you know, uh, getting John Bolton up there, getting Mick Mulvaney up there, it probably means that Hunter Biden is unfortunately going to have to come to Capitol Hill and testify, which is just ridiculous. You know, we'll see uh, how that happens. But um, it'd be, it, it would be nice to hear from Mulvaney and John Bolton, both who said that, that they're willing to testify if the Senate calls them. Yeah, I agree with you. I think I think they will vote to have witnesses. I think it's going to be really uh, the timeline you, you laid out. I think these Republicans want Trump to give the State of the Union without the haze of impeachment on them. So I think the squeeze is going to be real strong on these GOP to not vote for witnesses. But I think the compromise, as we said, will probably be only a ha- like less than a handful of witnesses. Right. Uh, I would take that deal of Bolton for Biden. And here's why. I think Bolton has a lot of information that could be more damning than Biden, Hunter Biden will. So Hunter Biden, we've talked about him a bit. He did some stupid stuff. Um, per- personally, he's done some really bad stuff that affects his own personal romantic life. But <laughs> professionally and things that matter, in fact, matter to you and me, he did some stupid stuff being on an energy company while Joe Biden was uh, vice president. There was no signs of anything improper, but the GOP have latched onto this and is a good way to knock on Biden that he's corrupt. However, I think people will f- totally forget about Hunter Biden. The only people who are going to remember about Hunter Biden are the Republicans. And I really think the Bolton stuff will stand more in people's face than the Hunter Biden stuff that they try to uncover that they won't be successful upon because he did nothing wrong. And Bolton has evidence probably of Trump doing really, really shady stuff. So I would take that deal. Also, keep in mind that Hunter Biden is a private citizen. It is he has no government affiliation anymore if he ever had it at all it is ridiculous that you can call a private citizen in for an for an impeachment trial it's absolutely ridiculous i will say this if the house if the senate votes on wednesday uh to allow witnesses it'll be a very very close vote and if they do allow witnesses on wednesday it's it looks pretty likely that trump will be uh uh, still under impeachment um, when he gives his State of the Union. And that is, that's the goal here, people. We want Trump to be under impeachment when he gives his State of the Union, 100%. I think of the five senators, I agree with you. And I think of the five senators, I think Mitt Romney's going to do it. I think Mitt Romney's going to do it. I think Lamar Alexander will do it. And I think Lisa Murkowski will do it. I think Collins and Gardner will vote no because they have the cover to vote no because the other three are going to vote yes. But if that's 50-50, then... Oh, it's 50-50. You're right. Um, Well, then I guess one of them is going to have to vote yes. So you need four of them as... Yeah. You need four of them. So one of those, Corey Gardner or Susan Collins, is going to have to take the heat unless they do it together and which would make more sense because there's more cover in doing it together than one of them doing it. Yeah, so... There's no upside to them voting no because people... Look at, I, I, honestly, they should... <laughs> they're running really bad campaigns, so <laughs> I don't know what's the best politically for them. Yeah, it's... Yeah, 
it's very, very strange. And we'll see we'll see how it works for them. But if they have any conscience, which we shouldn't expect that, that they do, but if they do, they will vote to at least hear witnesses. You can – if I'm Susan Collins or I'm Cory Gardner and I'm trying to win in Maine or Colorado, I want to at least appear maybe to uh, people who um, – who are independents to at least appear like I am trying to give a fair a fair trial. So by looking to hear uh, witnesses, you know that I'm at least giving off the impression that I am uh, an impartial juror. And then even if I vote for acquittal, at least I gave off this impression. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they have a hard thing to sell because they have to get that crossover vote. Because in Colorado and in Maine. I don't think you can't just win with Republicans. So you need the Democrats to come over to you or you need some independents to come over to you. And how are independents going to think if you don't vote for witnesses and feel like you have an impartial, you're an impartial juror, as you just said. So, yeah, boy, I wouldn't like to be them, but they're, they got themselves into this position. So I don't, I don't feel bad for that. They most certainly. Especially not Collins. Oh, no. And Gardner. Yeah, I hate all of them. Gardner just sucks. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, quickly, we're going to wrap this up. Our take on what will happen, we just kind of gave you a bit of it, and I hope we live in a world where Trump will be removed, but knowing reality, I think one or two GOP will vote to remove, which is not enough to remove if all the Democrats side. There's a chance that Joe Manchin won't uh, vote to remove, so who the hell knows if that's even going to happen. Let's say for a second that all the Democrats stay together, which I don't, I think Joe Manchin may not, but... I think Lamar Alexander is going to vote to remove because he's retiring and he doesn't care. I think Susan Collins is going to vote to remove because she needs it because she won't. I don't think she's going to be able to win re-election if she doesn't vote to remove. But between that and Kavanaugh, I just think I, I can't imagine her making that calculation. I think Mitt Romney will vote to keep him in because he's an idiot. I think Cory Gardner will because he needs to appear to have some conservative leaning. And I think... Lisa Murkowski, I'm not sure what she's going to do, but I'd be surprised if she voted to remove. Yeah. But I could see her doing it. Yeah, I mean, even if Murkowski goes, that's 50-50, and we need 66 senators um, to agree with us. So, you know, Trump will remain, but as Nancy Pelosi said um, on Bill Maher last week, she said, uh, he Donald Trump is impeached forever. So... Yeah, this was always going to be a heavy lift, and the fact is that the Republicans are just so, they're so in Trump's pocket that we can't rely on our political institutions the way that we thought we could, so we need to do this the old-fashioned way. We need to vote out every Republican up and down the ballot yep. everywhere. Yep, absolutely. Provide consequences to their actions, or else no one knows they did something wrong. That's right. You have to treat them like children. Unfortunately, yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I think I think we we covered the Trump impeachment, don't you think so, Josh? Yeah, I think we covered it pretty uh, in depth, and uh, you know we'll see what happens. We'll we'll keep you posted. So uh, we have a fun um, rundown memory lane about Bernie and Hillary. We have a really fun, well, maybe not so fun side dish for you today. Uh, so again, the side dish is I'm going to use three minutes to talk about an item and Josh will decide if it stays on the menu. Basically, is it something we want to see more of or less of? And this week we have Bernie and Hillary. So, it, uh, oh, before I go in, uh, we have Bernie and Hillary. And Josh, do you have a timer set up? I do have my timer set up. So as soon as you start, I am going to hit the timer. You have three minutes. Otherwise, if you go over your three minutes, uh, then Tulsi Gabbard is the nominee. So, No. Okay. Well, I'm not going over three minutes. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's start in three, two, one, go. Okay. So in a recent interview with The Hollywood Reporter, Hillary dished about a lot of stuff. She dished about 2016, and she declared that she would not be supporting Bernie Sanders if he was the nominee in that interview. She said, quote, he is a mean-spirited. He is mean-spirited, and nobody in the Senate likes him. He accomplished nothing. I kind of agree with Hillary, but anyway, uh, he, so she is still feeling the effects of 2016, where her and her supporters said that Bernie didn't do enough to help her. 
there's been video, you know, that's debatable. I kind of see her side to this, even though he appeared with her at quite a few rallies and endorsed her and all that stuff. Uh, Dems appropriately slammed her for her comments saying, why would you say something like that? Bernie's not, I mean, Trump is the main enemy. Why are you so in division? Why are you even bringing this up? She has every right to say what she wants to say, but she also has to realize her words carry, uh, her words carry some, some weight behind them. So she walked it back and she said, I thought everyone wanted my authentic and unvarnished views. But to be serious, the number one priority for our country and the world is retiring Trump. And as I always have said, I will do whatever I can to support our nominee. So she basically reversed it. I mean, I pretty much think that uh, her initial comments were how she felt. So that is Bernie and Hillary about what happened. And I think I am done. All right. You have saved the party from the Tulsi Gabbard nomination. So how did I do? You were a minute and 33 seconds. Okay. So All right. I had plenty of time for me to uh, understand what was going on. Uh, and I came to my decision pretty quickly. As soon as the, as the name <laughs> Hillary Clinton popped up, I said, no, dear God, no. <laughs> Just, just in your mind, God no! It was like, tell me more, Josh. It was like that scene from The Office when, when uh, with uh, Michael Scott. No, dear God, why no? Um, you know, it was only like two months ago that Hillary Clinton was like, "Don't tempt me, I might run in 2020," and I just, you know, we, res- I respect Hillary for what she did. She was the first uh, female nominee in a serious party to win the, the nomination and she should have won in 2016 we shouldn't even be in this mess and yes there was corruption by trump and yes there was interference from russia but she also just ran a horrible campaign and you know it sucks and you know we have to live with it i just don't want to deal with her anymore she has such an, a negative perception by the American public and even though there are Dems that agree with her there's just there's no need to say anything about the candidates right now there's just so there's so many candidates and saying that you're not going to uh, you know support someone even if that's true is just ridiculous like you know I'm not a huge Bernie fan but Bernie's better than Trump I mean anyone is so why you would say anything like this is just beyond me and she just needs to keep her mouth shut unless it's all possible so with that being said hills i want as little of this as possible i think that's very fair i and i completely agree with you i don't know why she had to give her authentic views right now like she could she like honestly she she knows better she knows much better i mean yeah i agree and uh uh, I hope you all enjoyed the side dish, and uh, you've de- you've earned your dessert, which Josh has for you. All right, here we are. It is time for your dessert. We have a three-part uh, dessert, and only two of them have to do, or sorry, only one of them has to do with politics. So, uh, the first one is uh, Hills and I want to give our condolences to the whole Peanut family. Uh, Mr. Peanut has officially been killed off by uh, the Planters Company in a recent commercial showing everyone's favorite Peanut character falling off of a branch to save his companions. It was revealed by Planters that uh, Mr. Peanut uh, is dead. He was 104 years old from 1916 to, to 2020. Uh, his fate, however, might be determined in the upcoming Super Bowl ad. So if you didn't have a reason to watch because you don't care about the game, uh, you should at least watch if you care about Flanders Peanuts, because Mr. Peanuts' fate might be uh, it might be decided in about a, a week. So, R.I.P. R.I.P. Mr. Peanut. I I don't. I mean, did they want to just kill off a brand character? I mean, it was. I saw the ad. I, I wasn't really. I it didn't know. make me want to buy Planters Peanuts, to be honest with you. So, uh, maybe they just wanted to do a brand refresh, and they had a they had to end him somehow, but. Also very morbid for a commercial, to so. be honest, but... Yeah, just follow the other branch. Uh, speaking of Super Bowls, though, 
uh, Mike Bloomberg. He is set to spend $10 million on a Super Bowl ad that is attacking Trump. Now, while this is great news, it is also a reminder that he is doing this because he can. Uh, $10 million uh, to him is like a little Wendy's run. You know, he's just getting that frosty, getting that number one, getting those fries. doesn't matter. He can do it all day because he literally is worth $58 billion. So Doing a little Wendy's run. Never hurt anyone at all. <laughs> exactly. So um, that's what he's doing. You know, uh, I think Trump is also going to be having an ad going on as well. Uh, we'll see what their ads are. Uh, but this is a centerpiece of his strategy to get the Democratic nomination. He wants to be seen. He wants to, he can't be seen on debate stages. He won't be on the ballot for the first four uh, states. So he has to get his voice and his opinions out there. I'm hoping it's more of an anti-Trump ad than it is a pro-Bloomberg ad. We'll see. Usually his ads are, uh, you know, like 10 seconds why Trump's bad, you know, 20 seconds why Bloomberg's the best. But now he's got a whole 60 seconds to do it. So we'll see. Uh, it's going to be seen by millions and millions of people. And honestly, you know, any ad attacking Trump is always good. So as long as his ad is mostly why Trump is terrible, I am a-okay with him running as many ads as he wants. Those you want to add anything about that? Yeah, I think it's, I mean... As we said last time on the last episode, Bloomberg's money can be used all day, every day, and I think it will be a more, I think it will be a half and half, like, Donald Trump sucks, but also I'm better type thing. And honestly, if he wants to do it, good for him. Any any ad attacking Trump in front of that many people, at least seeding the doubt in their minds, always good. Absolutely. I mean, he, he's got so much money. Why doesn't he just buy all, all, all the commercials? Oh my God, can you imagine that? He would, I mean, he could do it. He could really do it. He could spend, you know, he, he, he could spend, you know, five or he could spend $8 billion on TV ads. $8 billion on TV ads. $8 billion, and he would still have $50 billion left. That's a lot of billions on TV ads. I mean, or you could give it to charities and help end poverty in America. But that too. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, and the last part, because we have a three-course dessert for you, is just a, a funny story. Um, Gritty, who if you don't know, is the thing of nightmares. Um, he is the Philadelphia Flyers mascot. And he recently got into some hot uh, water. So a 13-year-old boy and his family, were, who are season ticket holders for the Philadelphia Flyers, the hockey team, uh, they were getting their picture taken with Gritty. And Gritty was taking pictures with everyone. And this kid wanted his picture taken next. So he tapped Gritty like multiple times on the shoulder trying to get his attention. And Gritty kind of turned back and looked at him. When he gets his photo taken, uh, the kid claimed that as he was leaving, Gritty punched him in the back. Um, I have no idea how true this is. Uh, but the Philly, it's, it's severe enough that the, 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 the Philadelphia police are investigating and uh, the Flyers and Gritty both deny this, but what kind of a mascot punches a 13-year-old kid in the back? I mean, what does this country come to, Hilsey? It, it's in Philadelphia, so I shouldn't be surprised. But should, yeah, we shouldn't be surprised. <laughs> what is this country coming to when mascots are punching their fans, Hilsey? Well, uh, Gritty's known to do weird stuff. I can imagine this. This yeah. this mascot maybe just had a bad day. I mean, it's not never never justified to punch a child or a minor or anyone. But <laughs> uh, but but I, I mean, I don't really doubt this. Maybe he like semi pushed him away and he felt like yeah. a punch. I have no doubt that something happened. Right. I don't know if it was a punch, but still pretty bad. I mean, uh, the mascot is known for doing crazy stuff, but yeah, but it is Philly, so you gotta gotta take that lens on it. I guess, you know, it's important to remember that mascots are people. So, like, you know, it's a pretty thankless job, I would imagine. But don't hit children. Wait, so. mascots are people? Oh, God, the cat's out of the bag. Hills, oh, this is, man. This is this part is of a, a much long, longer conversation we need to have. <laughs> oh, another podcast or another day. I have to go think about my life. <laughs> so that is your dessert. 
and your answer to the pre-dinner shot is coming up next. Thank you guys for making it through the rest of the podcast and you have been patiently waiting and we have an answer for you. So the first part of this question was, how many house managers were there for the Clinton impeachment hearings back in the 90s? Your answer is there were 13 of them. I think this this time yeah. there's like seven or eight at most. There were 13 of them. And the extra credit part of this is who were they? Who were these 13 people? So I have I have a list of names for you, and some of them may sound familiar. Henry Hyde, the former, they're all former or current members of Congress, by the way. Jim Sensenbrenner, uh, he is a current member of Congress. Bill McCollum, George Gekas, Charles Kennedy, uh, probably mispronounced <laughs> that one. Uh, Steve Byer, Ed Bryant, Bob Barr, not the current Attorney General, Bob Barr, different guy. Asa Hutchinson, who is now Governor of Arkansas. Chris Cannon, James Rogan, and last but not least, Lindsey Graham. It comes oh. full circle, doesn't it? So you have 13 of them that were the House impeachment managers for the Clinton impeachment, and you have a list of all white men uh, who were, yep, and, yep, and one of them is a senator, and one of them is a governor now. Wow. So, there well, you go. That is Inspiring. just depressing. Well, there, there's, we, yeah, that's depressing. Depressing, uh, but we, we know that ended it in a quid, acquittal, so they didn't do their job that well yeah, anyway. Yeah, they still... A lot of them still spent many, many years, and some of them still are currently in uh, Congress when they should never been allowed in the first place. So, you know, it is, it is. What can we do, else? What can we do? Not much. We can vote them out. That's absolutely right. That is absolutely right. Um, anything else, else? No, no. I think I think uh, we've uh, we've covered everything today, and uh, we'll be back soon for more. But yeah, yeah. I think that was it. But before you go, you have a few important messages. The intro and outro music is by Brett Hillsberg. If you enjoy, please hit that subscribe button in your podcast app. It really does help us. Tell your friends to listen. And if you can, share this episode on social media. If you want to donate, go to the info section of the, of the episode that you are listening to. And you have the option there. If you have any questions, please email us at threecoursepolitics at gmail.com. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. And we'll be back in your podcast feed soon. Thank you, everybody. Bye.